Good morning. It's lovely to be sharing with you this morning in this final sermon in the series on the attributes of God. Our scripture lesson this morning is from Psalm 29, one of David's psalms. Psalm 29. Let's hear the word of God together. Honor the Lord, you heavenly beings. Honor the Lord for his glory and strength. Honor the Lord for the glory of his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. The voice of the Lord echoes above the sea. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty sea. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord splits the mighty cedars. The Lord shatters the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon's mountains skip like a calf. He makes Mount Hermon leap like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord strikes with bolts of lightning. The voice of the Lord makes the barren wilderness quake. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord twists mighty oaks and strips the forest bare. In his temple, everyone shouts, Glory! The Lord rules over the floodwaters. The Lord reigns as king forever. The Lord gives his people strength. The Lord blesses them with peace. Let's bow together in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for revealing yourself to us through your word. Speak into each of our hearts this morning, we pray, and draw us closer to you and help us to be able to praise your glory, the glory of your name, the glory of your being. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, over the past few months, we've been like spiritual astronauts seeking to penetrate the infinite majesty of the character and nature of God. There's nothing more important in life than knowing God, and no higher knowledge than the knowledge of God. If God is really there, then our highest priority in life should be to discover who God is and what God is like. But this exploration into God must be more than just an intellectual exercise. What value is there in knowing about God if that doesn't then affect our hearts and our lives? Knowing God personally affects and transforms our lives. Daniel 11.32 says, The people who know their God will display strength and take action. So we've looked together in this series at God's majesty. He is the majestic God. He is the God who is holy. And we've faced our responsibility and the challenge to be his holy people. He is the God who is changeless. In a changing world, he is always the same. He is the God who is omniscient. He has perfect knowledge and complete understanding of us and of our actions and intentions. 
And though he knows all about our sin, he is still the God who is merciful. He shows great pleasure in extending forgiveness, grace, and mercy to us through his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And he is the God who is omnipresent. Wherever we are, there is never a moment or a place where he is not there with us, sharing our sorrows as well as our joys. He is omnipotent, the, the God for whom no problem is too hard to deal with. And bring together all these attributes, uh, attributes and more, bringing them to the sum total, we end up with our concluding attribute in this present series, and that is that God is glorious. We're looking together this morning at the glory of God. Glory is the total manifestation of God's many attributes. It's the cumulative total that evokes the wow response from God's people. We see that in our scripture reading this morning in Psalm 29, verses 1 to 4. There David says, Honor the Lord for his glory and strength. Honor the Lord for the glory of his name. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty sea. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. And there's that wonderful statement in verse 9 of Psalm 29, where David says, in his temple, everyone shouts glory. That's the wow response. Psalm 145 verses 3 to 7 says that the wow response ascends to God as each succeeding generation comes to understand something more of his glory. Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. No one can measure his greatness. Let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts. Let them proclaim your power. I will meditate on your majestic, glorious splendor. And the wow response that is evoked on earth as we encounter the living God is continued in heaven as John tells us in Revelation 7 verse 12 the heavenly host fell before the throne with their faces to the ground and worshiped God they sang amen blessing and glory and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength belong to our God forever and ever. Amen. Calvin Miller says, Glory is doctrine gone emotional. The word glory is not born in the theological fissures of the brain, but in the cathedral of the heart. It feels no need to check with the brain, for it is so energetic that it passes its commands directly to the vocal cords and begs them to sing freely without the mind's analysis. When confronted with the glory of God, you don't try to analyze it. You just respond to it. King George II was attending the very first performance of Handel's Messiah, he was taken up with this 
great piece of music and the words from Scripture that honored and glorified the living Christ. And then suddenly the, the choir burst out into singing of the Hallelujah Chorus. And he was so involved in this that automatically the king stood up. And when the king stands up, everyone stands up. And that's how the tradition of standing for the Hallelujah Chorus began. It came to birth out of the wow response of an earthly monarch to the glory of our heavenly king. And all around us, we see the revelation of God's glory that causes us spontaneously to make that wow response in our worship to God. So, first of all, let's reflect on the fact that God's glory is reflected throughout creation. It's seen, firstly, in his glorious works in creation. During the French Revolution, politicians tried to abolish Christianity. One clear starry night, an atheist revolutionary was boasting to a peasant, everything will be abolished, churches, Bibles, clergymen, even the word God itself. We shall remove everything that speaks of religion. The peasant laughed, and when asked why, he pointed up to the stars and he replied, I was just wondering how you'd get them down. Psalm 19 verse 1 says, The heavens declare or proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. This universe is but a pale reflection of the glory of its creator. Some 200 years before Jesus, the astronomer Hipparchus catalogued around 850 stars. But after Galileo, the early 17th century astronomer, invented the telescope, millions of stars were discovered. No one knows exactly how many stars there are. Astronomers now estimate that there are an average of 100 billion stars found in a single galaxy and that 10 billion galaxies are within the range of the largest telescope. That's more than my mind can take in. But I'll tell you this, it makes me want to say, wow, when I reflect on the glory of God's work in creation. And incredibly, what does Genesis 1.16 say about that? The writer says, in utter simplicity, he also made the stars. We see God's glory reflected in his creative works. Also, we see his glory reflected in his glorious presence in creation. We can marvel at the glory of God and the stars and the planets, but it was Moses who marveled at the glory of God's presence revealed to him in a burning bush that was not consumed. God's glory came that close to Moses. No one ever saw as much of God's glorious presence as Moses did, he saw the glorious presence of God, not only in the burning bush, he saw it in the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of 
fire by night that led the people of God from slavery to freedom, led them through the wilderness. He saw the glory of God when the tabernacle was completed and when it was dedicated, Exodus 40 and 34, then the cloud covered the tabernacle and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The glory of God was visible, not only to Moses, but to all the people. But when Moses met with God alone on the top of Mount Sinai, God revealed his glory to him personally. The result, as Exodus 34:29 says, was that when Moses came down Mount Sinai, he wasn't aware that his face had become radiant because he had spoken to the Lord. So when Aaron and the people of Israel saw the radiance of Moses' face, they were afraid to come near him. He had to cover his face with a veil. The people wanted to keep God's glory at a safe distance. Moses wanted to see more of God's glory. The people were afraid of God's glory. Well, who are we like? Are we like Moses? Or are we like the Israelites? Do we want to know more of God's glorious presence and see more of God's glory? Or do we turn away from God's glory because we're not prepared to pay the cost that encountering his glorious presence demands. The hymn writer wrote this verse in one of his hymns, Jesus calls us from the worship of the vain world's golden store, from each idol that would keep us saying, Christian, love me more. Is your heart is my heart longing for God's glory this morning? Or are we taken up with the world's glitter? And so God's glory is reflected throughout creation. Secondly, God's glory is revealed through Christ. Christ is the greatest revelation of the glory of God, the supreme revelation God chose to reveal his glory through his Son and to channel his glory through him. 2 Corinthians 3.18 tells us, All of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. God's image within man was tarnished because of sin. But in and through his Son, Jesus Christ, God is restoring and renewing his glory in man. And he did that by sending Jesus into the world to be the visible representation of his glory in human likeness. The Scripture shows us that when we look at Jesus, we see the glory of his person, first of all. Hebrews 1.3 says, The Son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. Although Jesus acted as a filter so that man might look straight into the face of God's glory, God's glory was not diminished in any way in Jesus. 
Colossians 2.9 says, In Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. The glory of God is perfectly revealed to us in Christ. We're about to launch into Advent, and during that time we'll be thinking, I have no doubt about John chapter 1 and verse 14, that glorious verse where the apostle says, So the Word became human and made his home among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Small wonder that when Jesus was born, the angels sang glory to God in highest heaven. In himself, Jesus personifies the glory of God, the glory of his person. Secondly, the scripture shows us the glory of his presence, clearly evidenced in the life of Jesus. People could see there was something so essentially and fundamentally different about Jesus. He was reflecting God. He was without sin. In John 8, 46, Jesus asked, which of you can truthfully accuse me of sin? Jesus' teaching was authoritative. Even the temple guards sent by the chief priest to arrest him returned empty-handed saying, we've never heard anyone speak like this. His teaching was authoritative. His ministry was powerful. Nicodemus said in John 3, 2, your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. While everyone could see evidence of God's glory in Jesus, Peter, James, and John were the ones who were given an even greater revelation of God's glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. Matthew says in Matthew 17, 2, as the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. And many years later, after that incident, John, in his old age, on the island of Patmos, was able to see that revelation of God's glory once again. Revelation 1, 13 to 16 says, He saw standing in the middle of the lampstands someone like the Son of Man. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars in his right hand, and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth and his face was like the sun in all his brilliance. What must it have been like for John to get that glorious vision renewed of Christ in all his glory? Oh, that we might catch a vision of Christ in his glory as the old apostle John did. The glory of his person, the glory of his presence, Then the glory of his passion is shown to us in the scriptures. In the events surrounding 
Christ's death, resurrection, and ascension. In John 12 and 23, Jesus spoke to his disciples about his coming death, and he said, Now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. As he prepared for the cross, he spoke to the Father about his coming suffering. John 17, 1, the great high priestly prayer, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so he can give glory back to you. John 17, 4, I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. God answered that prayer. Paul says in Philippians 2, 9 to 11, that because Jesus humbled himself and died a criminal's death, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Because Jesus glorified the Father in his life, yes, and in his death too, the Father glorified Jesus in his resurrection and ascension. The glory of his person, the glory of his presence, the glory of his passion, and then fourthly, the glory of his parousia, the second coming. And speaking of the second coming, Jesus says in Matthew 24, 30, the sign that the Son of Man is coming will appear in the heavens, and there will be deep mourning among all the peoples of the earth, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. John says in Revelation 1, 7, look, he comes with the clouds of heaven, and everyone will see him, even those who pierced him. We'll all see Christ in his glory when he comes again. And, says Paul in Colossians 3, 4, when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. One day, when Christ returns in glory, we will be taken to be with him and share in his glory. That doesn't mean to say the world can see nothing of God's glory until Jesus comes again, because you see, the glory of God is reflected in the life of the Christian. That's why Paul says in Colossians 1.27, God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing in his glory. So God's glory is reflected throughout creation. God's glory is revealed through Christ. God's glory, thirdly and finally, is restored in Christians. And what a miracle of grace that is. God reversing the effects of sin in our lives so that he can restore his glory within us as Christians. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, 
but Christ lives in me. And in 2 Thessalonians 2.14, Paul says, Because he called you to salvation when we told you the good news, now you can share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why our every word and our every thought and our every action should be to bring glory to Jesus. Whatever you do, 1 Corinthians 10.31, do it all for the glory of God. Our God is glorious. His glory is reflected in creation. His glory is revealed in Christ. His glory is restored in the Christian. We need to know more of God's glory in our lives. We need to reflect more of God's glory in our lives. Honor the Lord for his glory and strength, says the psalmist. Honor the Lord for the glory of his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. And as we do that, May God grant, as the psalmist said in Psalm 29, verse 9, that in his temple, that in the life of his people, that in this place right here at Hamilton Baptist Church, everyone shouts, Glory! Please join with me in prayer. Father, we are amazed at your glory. We thank you that you have called us to encounter you in Christ. Your glory has been poured into your Son, and we thank you that he reveals your glory to us. And we thank you that through the Holy Spirit, that same glory is filling our hearts and lives, transforming us so that we grow into the image of Jesus himself. Father, may we never, ever lose sight of your glory, and may the glory of your presence never leave us in any way. May we always be thrilled to know that the glorious God is our God, and may we walk in light of the glory of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior. We pray in your beautiful name. Amen.